Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, and welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. We are your hosts. I'm Kim France. And I'm Jen Romolini. And it's just the two of us this week. And I have to ask Jen, how are you? <laughs> I mean, I don't even know anymore. I was, I really, um, I'm going to really try very hard in this episode to not use the word like as much. I realize I've been using a lot of lazy language in the podcast, so I'm going to try to enunciate. I am... I don't know. I don't know how to describe what it is to be in year, almost year three of a pandemic. I don't know what the present is. I don't know how to describe the present state. Um, I also feel like there's just, there's just so much going on in the world that I don't even understand. It's still with the NFTs. <laughs> <laughs> They're not going away just yet. No, I just, but there's so much that I'm just... I, anyway, the things we've been talking about that are that are confusing to me. One of the things, well, how are you? Let's ask that first. <laughs> I'm fine. You know, I'm 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 as tired of this as anybody is, but I'm like kind of hopeful. Part of me is kind of hopeful that it's just going to peter out, and then another part of me thinks, oh no, this is what this is when they save the really big bad variant for. No, stop. Stop. (laughs) These are just the thoughts I have. It's like we've been talking about, like your brain goes where your brain is used to going. Your brain doesn't necessarily go to the more productive place it could go. No, your brain doesn't go to the more productive place it could go. But actually, let's discuss. We've made a list today of things to talk about. So (laughs) let's let's actually try to be in our list. Maybe that will make us feel more productive (laughs) than just this sensation of marshmallow, which is what I feel like. (laughs) Just, yeah. I feel like, I feel like my brain is just full of whipped cream. 
Yes, that's that's also true or or marshmallow either way. But you sent me an interesting thing this week that I wanted to talk about, which was an interview with the author of The Artist's Way. Yes. And I don't know about you, but I've been familiar with The Artist's Way for uh, what feels like 400 years. I feel like people have been pushing The Artist's Way on me since I was in my 20s. And I've always been very resistant to it because it just felt like, ugh, like just the the cover of it's weird. It's like a floppy book. It just looks, and I have, you know, I have all of this disdain to some degree with new ageism because it was used so much to manipulate me. It was like a religious thing that we used to manipulate me when I was a kid. Everything was my fault because of karma or my mom's past lives or Mm. whatever. So I've been resistant to it, but you sent me this interview. And first off, I never knew that the author of uh, The Artist's Way, which what is her name? Julia Cameron. Julia Cameron. I didn't know she was Scorsese's first wife. She was Scorsese's first wife just for two brief years. Um, and she, no, she's had a fascinating life. In fact, yeah. also, this is maybe the least interesting thing about her, but she's James Cameron's sister. Oh, wow. I didn't know that either. Which means that James Cameron and Martin Scorsese were brothers-in-law for two years. Wow. Wow. You think about how like creative people inform each other's creativity. It's interesting to think about. But also that she was a she was like a new journalism journalist mm-hmm, in writing the for Rolling Stone when yeah. like very few women were writing for Rolling Stone. Yeah, she was right alongside aside uh, Didion and Nora Ephron, and was had a lot of acclaim as a journalist. And then married Scorsese, punched up taxi driver for him, which is amazing to me. I never mm-hmm. knew that. And then, you know, had children with him. And of course, when you have children, the great cataclysm, like, oh, it's all, it's always (laughs) just just fucked. And then, and then got sober and wrote the artist's way. Mm -hmm. She moved to, I'm not, I'm not getting the order of things right. She left New York. She moved, she went to Santa Fe. Mm-hmm. Someone was, she was like, I don't like Santa Fe. Someone said, take the high road to Taos. So she went to Taos and lived in Taos for a number of years. And I think that's when she started doing these workshops and she sold, it sold 4 million copies and it started as a self-published workbook. That's so crazy to me. So crazy to me. And let's talk a little bit about what the practices of the artist way, because I did it this morning. Yeah, well, the first, the most important thing and the thing I, you know, while I'm not familiar with the book, you know, in a bigger way, I've always, I've been aware of the morning pages for a while. The idea that the first thing you do when you wake up before even coffee, if you can, is just reassociate for three pages handwritten and you're not meant to go back to it unless it's somehow going to help you creatively. It's just there to, what was the line? Hang on, she had a great line. To miniaturize the authoritarian critic. It's it's so smart. I mean- and it's for any it's for any sort of creative endeavor. It's 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 the artist's way. It's not just for writers, but I've been familiar with the morning pages too. And again, it's the consistency problem. And also just just my inner critic of always just feeling everything feels like a fool's errand, you know, like mm-hmm. um, but I do think that sense of freedom and release 
and no expectation on what you're doing, I mm-hmm. imagine that can get the juices going. I don't know. Yeah, I think it also just forcing yourself to write whatever comes into your head is especially challenging for a writer because, and especially challenging for what we both are, which is writers who are also editors. Yeah. Because we do such constant editing of our own work while we're writing it. And that whole idea just sounds so deeply appealing to me to not give, to not give a damn what I'm writing. And it also made me think, and she kind of talks about how it isn't as big a deal, but it made me think about the importance of ritual with writing and other artistic pursuits. Yeah. And that those morning pages, that's just, it's like um, when Emily Flake came on the podcast Mm -hmm. quite a while ago, she talked about taking a cold shower every morning and how once she does that every day, she feels like she can do anything else that occurs during the day. And there is something to just you know, owning the day first thing. And it's order. It's organization. Mm -hmm. I mean, this gets into, I sent you a podcast. We were thinking about the same things this week, I think. And I sent you a podcast um, that I've been listening to well, that I listen to sometimes. It's it's one of those like self-helpy podcasts and I listen to it sometimes. It's called The Good Life Project. But this particular episode this week was about how to get unstuck and finish what matters. And it was this author whose name is Charlie Gilkey. And he wrote, he wrote a book, but he also has a website called Productive Flourishing. And it was all about basically goddamn calendaring. Like it really was a mm-hmm. revelation to me because what he was saying was what's fundamental to our thriving is often not economically relevant, right? But we put mm-hmm. so much emphasis on only what's economically relevant. So we only put emphasis on work and scheduling our our work and particularly our work that makes us money. But what he was saying is that everything is a project and the personal is a project and we can't kick it to someday or maybe, right? We Mm -hmm. have to organize our life in a way that we are prioritizing our personal projects as much as our economic projects. If not, our life is going to be unbalanced. He also said, you got to look around at how many things you've got going in your life because so many of us have so many things going on in our lives and we do all of it kind of not so great. And his thing is like, pick the things, you will do them to completion. The sense of mastery you will feel after completing these fewer things is going to help you master things in the future. Right. Everything takes time, energy, and attention. Anything worth doing takes time, energy, and attention. And we have a limited amount of all three. So how are we, this is about focus, right? So his, his idea, which I thought was so good is to set up your life in blocks, like actually calendar in different blocks of your life, which can be a focus block, which he says has to take between 90 and 120 minutes because you can't get focused, deep work done in less than 90 or 120 minutes, but also past 120 minutes, you're frying yourself. So, you know, I go on these like writing retreats or I go on these writing days and I leave my family and I'm like, that's it. I'm going to write for 10 hours. I never write for 10 hours. I've read, and I think this is true, that if you are a writer and you accomplish three or four hours of writing a day, like intense writing, that's good. Yeah. Like you've done it if you're doing that. 
but it does have to be kind of intense and focused. But he was also saying like building into your schedule, the, the recovery blocks of your life, which is, yep. you know, exercising, doing things for yourself, self-care, meditation, like that these things have to be given as much priority as the other things or else the, the sort of train goes off the tracks. Yeah. And I, I feel this so profoundly. And I think that this is a different way. Both of the things we're talking about are different than how we were taught creativity works. We were taught that creativity is just sort of this magical, mystical thing that just like the muse will just overtake you. And like, you're mm -hmm. just, you're supposed to live like this boundaryless, like bohemian life as a creative person. But actually I think that just plays into your weaknesses and makes you feel more fucked up all the time. Yep. Yep. I totally agree with that. And I think that this idea that creativity is a gift and it moves through you is something that is productive for some people to think about. I know writers who very much believe that the muse runs through them. Um, but if, you know, the, we were talking about someone the other day who I resent, who yes. you were talking, you, you were talking about this person's incredible creative output. Yes. And it's like that person like views it the right way as a job, like any other job and not Discipline. like a special job. And this is the other thing he talked about that was so interesting, which is also a big AA thing. Like stop thinking you were so uniquely unique, yeah. you know, stop thinking there's something special about you that keeps you from accomplishing the things you don't want that you can't accomplish. Well, it's also, I think it's also the pandemic has, for me at least, exacerbated that feeling that my misery is unique because mm -hmm. in isolation, my bad habits, my inabilities, my inabilities, let's say, have begun to feel so big and so unusual because I'm not engaging with other people the way I used to engage yeah. with other people. So I'm not like sitting down having a coffee or having a drink with someone casually and they're like, oh my God, I also feel that way. Yeah. And th that feeling of being seen and that it's not so individual. You're not just, you're not this special fuck up because my mm -hmm. specialness is never, oh, I'm so specially talented. <laughs> oh, oh. I'm I, so specially damaged. I'm so, so specially fucked up. I'm so specially fucked up, which is its own kind of narcissism. It's a narcissism that you eat, you eat, you eat yourself. But it, it is, it is overcoming that is one of the biggest blocks for me creatively, you know, and also understanding that nobody's getting great work done right now. I mean, I guess some people are like this person you resent, but <laughs> I, most of the people no. I know are not. No, most of the right readers are. I mean, even just this morning, I was like reading some article about ADHD and I was like, maybe I have ADHD. Maybe that explains it. And like explains all the shit I can't get accomplished and all the ways in which I'm disorganized. I read the symptom list and I had, I mean, I could, I could, you know, um, and then I was like thinking about that podcast and I was like, okay, I may have ADHD. I actually think it's possible that I do, but that's not the reason I can't get shit done. That might inform it, but there's another, or not that that's not the reason why I get shit done. There's another route. 
Right. Well, there's a way to overcome. There's a solution, I think, to the problem. I mean, it's it's comes down to self-loathing, but I also <laughs> I also think that I have ADHD and I have for a long time suspected this and I keep making and canceling the diagnosis appointment for the ADHD because I'm I don't know why it's almost well I think it's like that Ananise Nin quote, I wept because I lost my pain and was not yet used to its absence. There is mm -hmm. a thing of not wanting to solve your problems in a way. Like you've become so comfortable in your in your own stink. You in know? your own goo, yeah. In your own goo. That because that, but, but, yeah. but that all gets back to the brain just going where you've taught your brain to go. That's right. You know, right. and, and I'm not saying that like it's so simple. No. Because it happens over a period of many, many years and it's difficult to course correct. Well, Charlie Gilkey, going back to the productivity, he builds into his productivity maps for people. He builds in self-compassion. Yes. And he also, he also builds in phases. Yeah. Like he says, every summer he's in a very specific mode. You know, yes. every winter he's highly productive, more productive than he is any other time of year. So he's built into his model the fact that sometimes you're just, you don't have anything left. But also what kind of person are you? And understanding, understanding not your unique, not like it's only you, but understanding what type of productive person you are. Like, are you a person who gets work done in the morning? Are you an evening person? Are you an mm -hmm. afternoon person? Understanding that so you can schedule around your strengths instead mm -hmm. of working against yourself. I still found, I mean, I found that whole podcast episode very encouraging. And at the same time, I felt very far from being able to take a lot of that advice. I know, me too. Me too. But then I start thinking like, fuck, time is running out. I'm going to well, be 50. <laughs> yes. And that's his thing too, that, you know, he has a little bit of that, what are you going to do with your one wild and precious life thing? Yeah. Like, and, and another thing I thought was very interesting is he talks at the very beginning about how much heartbreak he sees at work. And I thought that was really important. How much heartbreak, how many dashed expectations and disappointments people have at work which is one of the reasons I so dislike that line that nobody is on their hospital bed wishing they'd spent more time at the office. Because I think many people are dying on a hospital bed wishing they spent more time at the office, wishing they'd fulfilled their wishes for themselves in a work perspective. Yes, I think so. I do think there are a lot of unrealized dreams and I don't want to end my life with unrealized dreams. I don't want to. I mean, that's part of the other thing I was talking to you about this week, which is the Eric Erickson stages of psychosocial development, which I'm not going to get into too much because I don't really understand them that much. But there's this idea. Eric Erickson is this German psychologist. I think he was a contemporary of Freud's. And unlike Freud's sexual stages of development, his is his are psychosocial, and that at every stage of our life, we sort of are faced with this kind of test and or this this place where we can have a mastery. And if we reach mastery in each of these stages, then at the end of our life, we're going to be able to enjoy the end of our life more. There's a, a level of like ego wholeness and satisfaction that we're going to be able to enjoy at the end of the life, instead of feeling like so stirred up and all yeah. these regrets and everything. And the stage we're in right now is 
generativity versus stagnation, according to Eric Erickson. And this is the idea of creating or nurturing things that will outlast us. So it's, it's creating and nurturing children. It's creating and nurturing projects equally. It's not, it's not just this idea of being parents. It's this idea that we are, we are doing something meaningful and something that we feel we need to do rather than stagnating. I feel that profoundly. And then I run up against these blocks of, you know, poor work habits, low self-esteem, just spiraling. And then I, I get stuck in the pattern of, fuck, I can't do this, or, you know, this isn't good enough or whatever it is, you know, whatever well, what's it is. So crazy about, what's so crazy about that with you is that you work harder than just about anyone I know. You've got so <laughs> much going on and you manage it actually really well. And I think inside, maybe in your head, it doesn't yeah. feel like it's well-managed, but I, I feel like you work very hard. And I know that doesn't get rid of that feeling. Yeah. But yeah. I, do, I do think that's true. I, I think my worst fear is regret. Mm -hmm. I think fear is, I mean, I really think that like I, I, I live my life in a way like, oh my God, how much longer am I going to be able to walk around a city that I want to visit? How many more, how many pro like, what else do I want to do? And if I don't do it, am I might, but that can also be its own kind of compulsion too. Yeah. You know, that's yep. not the whole, yeah, yeah, the whole bucket list. Yes. The whole bucket list, but thinking. also not being able to sit still and not being able to enjoy, am I enjoying the moment enough? I mean, it's just. Yeah, we do both have ADHD. There's, we, let there be no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody teach us how to treat it, man. Take a quick. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Support for Everything is Fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin. And I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. But the thing I love most about Ritual is their Hyacera. It's a once daily skin supplement that's clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. In a clinical study, Hyacera led to 3.6 times reduction in crow's feet wrinkles within 90 days as compared to a placebo. 
Hyacera led to 2.9 times increase in skin smoothness within 90 days as compared to a placebo. You can enhance your skincare routine from the inside out with one daily capsule essenced with soothing vanilla. I love Hyacera. It's been rigorously tested and validated. It's one of the industry leading sustainability. It, it meets, sorry, all of the industry leading sustainability standards. You know, I'm a beauty editor now. I am all about keeping my face plump and Hyacera absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long and I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks more juicy, I guess is the best way to do it. Say it, do it. Ah. Okay. So you can start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash fine. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription to get today. That's ritual.com slash fine for 25% off. Great for some ads. And we're back. The other thing that was on the internet trending this week, I mean, these <laughs> things were trending in our lives, but the other thing that was trending on the internet this week that I was thinking about, and I don't even know, I was not going to bring this up because I thought, is that going to be newsworthy? I don't even, I don't understand news cycles. What is, you know, <laughs> but let's talk about West Elm Caleb. West Elm Caleb. I love this story so much as a veteran of the dating app wars. Please I really me. enjoyed this story. There was a guy named Caleb who was going out with a lot of women on Hinge and ghosting them. Right. And apparently, like, when people did TikToks about it. And this Caleb guy was a, was, a, was a furniture designer at West Elm, which I just love because you can hear all those girls saying to the friends, and he designs furniture. <laughs> like, he's the perfect fuck boy. You know, the perfect, like, looks like one thing from the outside is another thing entirely. And then, but what I really loved was that there are all these women going on about West Elm Caleb. And then there was another Caleb who was also <laughs> ghosting girls all over Hinge. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. That's a, that's a Caleb, but that's not West Elm Caleb. Like, it happens so much. Well, and, what, yes, go ahead. Go ahead. But what I also love, like, I, a, a friend of mine a while ago said there should really be, and there should be, something like a Reddit or something where women can talk all about their bad dates and who their bad dates were. Like, here's, here's where we talk about all the guys on Tinder. Here's where we talk about all the guys on Hinge so that we can, like, you know, kind of raise a, a flag if there is something wrong, if there is a West Elm Caleb. Right. Like, and, and so women did this themselves on TikTok. They found each other and humiliated West Elm Caleb. But let's talk about his crimes, okay? It mm -hmm. seems like his crimes were... Being over, being a really good date and overly enthusiastic and probably being a little too emotionally intimate when his real goal was just to fuck and run. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And now this kid is 25 years old, has basically been canceled by the Internet because <laughs> he ghosted all of these women after having sex with them. When I would argue that that is just kind of normal 25 year old behavior. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, it, it, I will point out that I've had similar behavior from men much older than 25 in my recent past. But does the punishment fit the crime is what I'm saying about West, okay, Elm, West, Elm, West Elm Caleb. 
the punishment, yeah, I saw that he like he erased all of his social media. He's clearly gone into hiding. No, people are um, like reaching out to West Elm. I mean, his employment is now probably in a precarious state. He uh, well, he's a symbol for sure right. of all the Caleb's out there. And I think that the, you know, the rage behind canceling him has to do less with him and more to do with everything that's fucked up about dating on apps. Right. You know, Nancy Jo Sales was really articulate on that when she came here, like what they do to like diminish women's self-esteem. And, and I think Caleb is a symbol, unfortunately for Caleb. Yeah. I mean, look, I think New York City in particular and there are other places like that, but they, you know, pathological daters, you know, getting sent the unsolicited dick pics. I mean, I kind it's kind of all part of the game, but then I was thinking about this. I was thinking that I feel totally unqualified to talk about dating. Sure. For now. I mean, now in the present moment, but even ever, because my expectations of men, male behavior, male heterosexual behavior was, I expected them to be terrible. Like yeah. I rem I was thinking about, I was thinking about how I, ha I had this male friend and we were just friends. And I used to, when, before I had a place in New York, I sometimes stayed at his apartment. Um, when I was sort of, when I first moved to the city and I was kind of couch, couch surfing and he tried to have sex with me twice at night when I was sleeping. And <sighs> I kind of like I pushed him off and I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Like the whole thing, you know, the, the whole, I'm not going to get graphic, but the whole thing. And I like pushed him off me. What the fuck are you doing? And, you know, I think he said something to me like, well, you know, I, I you're staying here and I bought you dinner tonight and, you know, the whole thing. Wow. And. My expectation was that was kind of the price of admission for knowing straight men like they would be naughty sometimes and you would tell them to stop and. There was just, that was just their, some men were just, were going to behave badly and you just needed to have your guard up. And yeah. so when I see these women being like, oh, he didn't call me back after we had sex. I'm like, I mean, what, what did, you know, did, there's no obligation for him to call you back. And I think about, I hope that the generation after us doesn't have all the messaging I had, which is like, you know, boys are naughty sometimes. They're going to they're gonna always be trying to get it in. You know, that disgusting behavior. But yeah. I just thought, oh, that's how they are. Yeah, I think I did a little. I mean, I think I was really scared of men for a okay. long time. I think, you know, I had a father who had shitty boundaries, mm -hmm. you know, who was a, you know, really not on my top 1,000 list of people in the world. Right. And, um... So I was always kind of timid. I was always kind of scared and afraid of like what the men, the power men had to make you feel like nothing. Yeah. With yeah. their words, you know. And I do remember like when Paul and I on our first date, um, we were hanging out, we were kissing. And he's like, you know what? Can we just agree not to see other people while we figure out what this is? And I was like, it was like, I had been so demoralized by my dating life since then. And I just looked up at him and I was just like, yes, please. Like that, like, I couldn't wow. believe there. And, and I do think some of it has to do with the fact that he's not a New Yorker. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I really do. Um, 
But dating really, it chips away at you. It's, it, in some ways, it's good. And it helped me a lot during COVID to be still going out on walks in Prospect Park with various men. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm just super fucking happy I'm not doing it now. Oh, which reminds me of my goal. You said your goal was to say like yes. And my goal is to say fuck yes. Which I know fuck. I've already articulated on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, the thing is, is... It's good. It's good that these women are having a, are holding men to a higher standard than mine, which was oh they're they're they're, they're basically no better than dogs, and <laughs> if they are better, that would be a nice surprise. Yeah. So I mean, yes, we should be holding everyone to higher standards than than that, since we are sentient beings. But people find each other every day on the apps. Like what I can't, I will say, as much as the apps demoralized me and exhausted me. When I hear about, a, when I hear a woman say, I'll never go on the apps, I'm just like, you will never date. Like, your boyfriend right. is not going to fall through your ceiling while you're watching Law & Order SVU reruns. Yeah, I always think like, well, if I ever, if I ever got a divorce, you know, I would just join like a composting group or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> like not, my, my imagination, my like under the Tuscan sun imagination, which <laughs> by the way, I watched under the Tuscan sun. So funny. I started it a while oh ago. God. We have to talk We I have to complete it and then we have to talk about we it. We have to talk about it. It's, it's really fucked up. It's a really fucked up, but one of the things, and we will ultimately talk about it, but one of the things is everybody in this movie is so skinny mm -hmm. and it is amazing how we never had saw any body diversity. Like there could be an entire movie where there would be not one person that looked anywhere different than this, than one size. And yeah. we just, that was just what we internalized. I mean, speaking of things you internalized, internalizing the patriarchy that men, men, boys will be boys, internalizing that we all have to be tiny little, tiny little people. Her mm -hmm. arms, Diane Lane's arms in this movie are so skinny. I didn't notice it the first time I watched it. I was looking at it and I was like, what is her arm is like the size of a pen. Yeah. Hey, a lot of people are dying. No <laughs> shit. What's no up? shit. A lot of people keep dying. It's really true. It's like we're on warp speed with deaths. And, and, and some of the people who are dying, just to, you know, bring it all back to me, are not that much older than me. No, I know. I mean, some of them are. It's like Thich Nhat Hanh died. And I was like, oh, too young. And he was like 93. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. But Andre Leon Talley, that was really sad. I was very sad to read that. I was I, I was very touched by so many people's tributes to him. I really enjoyed his memoir, the the um, Chiffon Trenches. Mm -hmm. He he spoke closer to the truth about Anna Wintour than I've ever seen anybody do, which I thought was incredibly brave. Um, what did he say? I don't. I didn't read it. What did he say? Well, you know, I mean, he was you know what Anna was famous for. I always heard was like keeping her top people loyal by saying she had more for them. She had, in, she, she was going to give them something more and better and newer, you know, it, that was in, um, that's what she does to Stanley, you know, her character does to Stanley Tucci in Devil Wears Prada. Right, right, right. And I think she did a lot of that. And then I think the other thing that happened is he just, you know, committed the sin of getting older. Right. You know, but from what I understand, Andre Leon Telly, you know, Anna Winter is many things and she's formidable, 
um, and very smart, but she doesn't know how to dress. Like Andre Andre Leontali taught her how to dress, went with her to all of her fittings. Wow. You know, and when she stopped paying for his cars, because he lived in Westchester, he would just pay for his own cars to come in and help her with fittings or whatever else she needed. Yeah, it was such a bummer. I, I was I was bummed that he died. I was bummed. Who else died that I was really bummed about? Just, Meatloaf died. Meatloaf died. I was less bummed about that. Yeah, I know. I was a little less bummed about that. Bob Saget seemed like he was a decent guy. Yeah, everybody loved Bob Saget. And that was one that felt like, uh, okay, I'm just not that much older than that guy, younger than that guy. No. And I don't know if I don't, you know, then you get into like, then you start getting into the forensics of like, how do these, I mean, Mark Maron has this theory that if you make it through your, the people who are going to die young, die in their fifties. If you make it out of your fifties, then you're going to, you're going to live a long time. That's like oh, his, fuck. like, uh, that's his obsessive. That's his obsessive. Cause I think he's a hypochondriac, which is one of the reasons I love him because I, I too am one, but he has like, he's like obsessively looked at all the deaths and his ideas. If you, if you make it through your fifties, you're going to be fine. You're close. You're going to be 59 in like next month. <laughs> no, I'm going to be 58 next month. Ma'am. Oh, 58. Sorry. That's very, very, very different. Sorry, sorry. Sorry. Well, you're still close. You're still close. I forget that we're nine years apart, not 10. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, Bob Saget died. I I remember Bob Saget when he was just on like the prowl. There was a time in like the early aughts where he was like a bungalow eight and just on the prowl him and Jeff Goldblum was also for a while just on the prowl and somehow both of them they must have behaved okay because they've never been canceled in the same way that Chris Noth Noth was um but he he was he seemed like he was having a good time at Bungalow 8 did you ever go there did you ever go to any of the exclusive New York clubs I went through a period of club going in the late 80s when I first arrived in New York okay so it was clubs like The World, mm-hmm. The Palladium. Mm-hmm. There was one called Milky Way that was like traveled. It was itinerant. It was somewhere different each mm-hmm. week. Um, it was a really fun period, a very egalitarian period to go out to clubs. And then after my 20s, I never went to another club except to hear music. Yeah. I so no, you? Not really. I've been... I mean, going back to the men thing, I've been writing a chapter of my book about all of the shitty media men I dated um, <laughs> anonymously. I'm writing it. But I mean, you know, it, I'm writing a book about ambition. And I think that I really combined the personal and the professional for a long time. And I only dated men in media for me too, a, uh, forever. I mean, I don't know, 10 years until I'm until I got married, um, until I married a media, a media man. <laughs> but I had this one guy who who was older than me. And that's the other thing I've been thinking about a lot is, you know, when I was in my twenties and I, a couple of times dated men in their forties, mid to late forties, I dated one guy in his fifties. And what a strange dynamic that is. Like, yes, yes. I, I only hesitate because I feel like we've discussed this. Did we discuss it? I don't think we discussed it on the podcast. I think we discussed this. We discussed it off. No, I agree. I mean, I think, sure, you can, you know, age differences can be overcome, but you're just at a different place when you're in your 20s than you are in your 40s. And there's just all sorts of stuff you don't know yet. So how 
you know, and speaking of Jeff Goldblum, he's like a prime offender. Like his his wives are always in their 20s. And again, I don't want to judge. Um, there's a great monologue in Better Things when Pamela Avalon is talking to Griffin Dunn, who's playing a family friend. And she's like, why are you dating these women? These Have children. you noticed what the women your age look like? They're all in phenomenal shape. They're all really smart. They know who they are. Why do you, why do you persist in doing this? I remember just feeling like, ugh, this is, this guy's gross. Like, even though I did yeah. it, because obviously there's also, there's, there's all kinds of benefits for you when you're in your, in your twenties and you're dating an older guy, you know, there's the financial, like I remember sleeping in these, these rich men's beds and I literally had a futon on a floor in Brooklyn, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was like, even just that, just the luxury of like sleeping in some nice sheets, you know? I mean, not to yeah. be gross, but but being like this, there's some, there's something wrong with this this situation, and it's surprising no. that you don't see it. You know? No, and they do see it. They just must see it. The power dynamic is so off. Yeah, so off. And if it works for both parties, great. It just, I, I, I can't see happiness that way. Well, I guess it's that I, I, I mean, I guess it's that the men. Well, first off, sometimes they want to do over. Like they they got mm -hmm. married young, they fucked up their their marriage. They were, were not present parents, you know, fathers. So they want to do over of the whole thing, right? Mm -hmm. Great for yeah. them that they get to do that. Woohoo, biology. But the other thing is is that they just they want reflected back to them that they're young, that they're, they're vibrant, that they're, they're vital, that they're virile. Right. And yeah. what does that better than, than a young per a young woman who's adoring and, and also, who's, yeah. and whose, and whose pistons are all still firing. Yeah. You know, like if you're a 50 something year old woman, you're, you're, you are, you have either dealt with or beginning to deal with you know, the waning of your sex drive, right? You know, it takes a, you know, it takes a strong man to be able to deal with, a, or, a, or a, you know, a sensitive, decent man to be able to deal with a woman who's like, you know what, I just, the last thing I want to do tonight is fuck. Right. Fair enough. But equally, like I would argue their biology is in the same situation, is waning at this, like there are pills to change it, but that shit's weird. And like, I would argue that their dick stopped working. Well, it's just not where you, ideally one would find oneself. Right. You know, like, like it's hard I, to me. The most important thing in a relationship is that I feel like the person, or one of the most important things is that I feel like the person is my peer. Yes. You know, yes. I, I need to be with somebody I feel like is as smart as me or smarter. And usually, you know, smarter because, you know, I'm smart, but not that smart. You're smart. But it's, it's, I, and that not wanting that, not wanting to be on even footing, not wanting to be with a peer, not wanting to be somebody who's accomplishing in their career what you're accomplishing in your career. I mean, I could go on about that forever. And that, you know, in my experience, I mean, this is a whole other can of worms and maybe I don't want to go there, but, you know, women are much better at, you know, they, a woman can be with a man who is more successful than her. Yes. You know, a man often has a much harder time with that. 
Yes. Yes. But the age dynamic, the other thing is they're just little babies and they don't want to be called out on their shit. They don't want to be challenged, right? So think about who you were at 22, 23, 27. I wasn't going to be calling out. Well, that's not true. I might have been calling because I'm feisty. I might have been (laughs) calling out a dude who was 53, but I wouldn't have known how to do it really. And I, I, I wouldn't know how to challenge them. And I wouldn't know how to expect things of them, appropriate things in a relationship with that big of an age gap. Yeah. And I think that's true for most young people versus middle-aged people. You just have been through more shit. You've learned more things. You respect yourself more. You've had one ter- at least one terrible thing happen to you. At least one. I mean, let's say yeah, many, many more, but you just have more experience and you know yourself better, hopefully. So anyway, I, I was, th- I've been writing about that and I've been thinking about it a lot and, and just feeling sad for my younger self who put myself in these situations with these men who were not worthy of all the attention I gave them for sure. Um, but then I've been thinking about men our age dating younger women and just feeling like, ew, God, you're so gross. <laughs> like, no, it is. It is gross. It is gross. And it it totally like, you know, I am honest about my age always. I say the year I was born. I say I'm 57. When I was on the apps, I was not honest about my age. Okay. On Tinder, on Tinder you're allowed to not put your age at all. So I just didn't. Okay. But on Bubble, I said I was significantly younger. And then I would, if I was chatting with someone, I'd say, by the way, this is how old I am really. Um which was usually not a problem. But, um, you know, I remember when Paul and I met online and he wanted to know my last name so he could Google me. And I was like, okay, well, if you Google me now, you're going to find out that I'm actually much older than you. And he was like, I'm fat. (laughs) You know. (laughs) Okay, fine. I'm old. Fine. (laughs) You're fat. Fine. I mean, that's it. That's the, that's the, that's just ending the game right there. That's the best you can do with each other is just be like, here it is. I've got old, I've got old hands. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. My, my hair has extensions. (laughs) Like I remember saying to him the first day before making out, like, like those things you feel in my hair that you might feel those are extensions. (laughs) Like we were on a like honesty tour for the first week that we knew each other. We were like, just tell everything so that there's nothing left. No, I mean, I think that's, you know, I've, I've been married for a long time. I still like my husband. I think one of the things was we were friends for so long. We really knew each other. We were people who used to do laundry together. I had complained to him about every boyfriend I'd had. He was that kind of friend to me. I had, he knew how self-conscious I was about my spider veins on my legs. Like he knew me really. I wasn't Mm -hmm. like showing up as an act and a performance. So he wasn't in love with an idea of me. By the time we fell in love, he was in love with me, actually. Now, I have a question, though. Yeah. Do you think the whole time you guys were friends, he had a crush on you? What he says, which is very sweet, he says that he he did, but he thought I was out of his league. So he just sort of like put it aside, which is an incredibly sweet thing. Mm -hmm. We were just buds, you know? And mm-hmm. then eventually, 
we met up a couple of years later when I was 31 and he was a little bit older. And then it just seemed like it made more sense. I mean, there is that thing about the sex in the city thing of like when the cab light is on. Oh, like, I believe that 1000%. When a man is ready, he puts his cab light on and it's the first taxi that rolls up. It's yeah, it's just, it just, it just, sometimes it's just the right time. And it was just, yep. it was the right time. And also he had a girlfriend for a long time who I liked a lot, you know, and then they broke up. It had nothing to do with me. So it's just like timing a, a lot of it. But again, that's young dating and that's young dating basically before cell phones. Like, I don't know what it's like to get an unsolicited dick pic. I have no idea what it's like to sext. I don't, I don't know. I mean, beyond with my husband, but that's like weird. And like, you know, now we're going to talk it's, about cat litter. <laughs> you've, you've missed out on nothing. Okay. I'll tell you, I, I have to say, I've never been sent an unsolicited dick pic. Okay. At least, yeah. No, I never have been. I never have been. So it's possible, but I have certainly, and this was a big mistake. It was a rookie mistake when I first started dating online. I did a fair amount of sexting with Whoa. one or two people. And I mean, aside from just being kind of gross, yeah, because you haven't even met them. I mean, it's appealing because you haven't even met them, but right. it's also gross because you haven't even met them. Like, it's just not a good way to start anything. Yes. I don't think that those, from my limited experience with sexual conversations in chat rooms, <laughs> like, <laughs> like the 90s, I don't, I never thought that those relationships were going to go anywhere. I didn't ever right. think, you know what I mean? I did yeah. get sent a dick the other day. I went into my, I went into my like Twitter messages and then there's like another file. I was like, what are these hidden messages in Twitter? And it was just a dick. <laughs> oh, God. I was like, who is this man sending me his dick? And, you know, I, I felt very uncomfortable with it. I felt very like Charlotte from Sex and the City, like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> but um oh by the way by the yeah. way i watched an episode of and just like that and i watched i watched the one where um miranda tells steve she's leaving yes okay that was the most recent one yes what did you think i wish i could be on board with it the way you are i mean i think that if they mean to make miranda look like an asshole mm -hmm. then they're doing a good job. If they're trying to make her look like a complicated woman living now, trying to figure things out and being flawed, interestingly, I think they're failing. Like she, she sits down with Steve, she tells Steve she's going to leave him. Then, you know, he's clearly devastated. Right. And then she gets in the taxi and calls Carrie and is like, I told him everything and I didn't make it about him and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, wait, I just saw that conversation. Like, you were horrible. See, I find, and maybe I'm a sociopath. I find it, <laughs> I find Miranda's storyline to be so relatable and true to life of my friends who have been at the end of their marriages and how you become, how you can become. And this is actually a thing you really have to be careful about, but how you can become like an irrational child because you can feel so trapped that any life raft coming around. I mean, I think that she's like, I think she's in a love bubble that's not real mm -hmm, for sure, but she hasn't had good sex in so long or felt connected to another person. The loneliness inside yeah. of an unhappy marriage, 
I think that that cannot be underestimated. Well, that's fair. And also, I mean, I can speak to that having been very lonely in an unhappy marriage and having exited that marriage pretty sloppily. You know, it's it's not easy to extricate yourself from a marriage. No. You know, I mean, first of all, just the deciding you're going to do it and setting setting, you know, a goal and then like having the conversation and then you don't have just one conversation. You have many conversations, even if you're out. 4,000. There's 4,000. There's 4,000 conversations to end a relationship. Like if you respect or care about the person even a little anymore, you let all those conversations happen, even when they seem entirely pointless. Yes, I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. And, but equally that she would be, I believe that a person in that position would be very irrational because she's, you know, mm-hmm. get, she's getting laid. And, and that is that we know that that alters our brain chemistry, that like good sexual connection and the feelings of being in love. We know that alters our brain chemistry and we know that yeah. we make bad decisions in those states. Well, you become hypomanic often, which yes. is like a very, you know, it's like a, a classier version of being manic. Okay. You just kind of, you don't focus and you don't get any work done and you make crazy decisions and you're impulsive because you're just floating in that love bubble. Yes. Yes. And I think that, uh, you know, for a person who has been, I, I don't know why I'm so into Miranda Hobbs, but for a person who has been controlled her whole life to then feel this sort of out of control feeling and like it, And also she's, I mean, she's having a classic midlife crisis. And I thought what he said was, I mean, I thought he he was actually, I feel bad for that character. I do feel bad for Steve. Yeah. But, and I think that because that actor, the actor who plays Steve is not in the show enough to like have a rhythm with her. I felt like his delivery was really wooden of these lines, but him saying, I have been the person, you have always said this. You have always said I wasn't enough for you, but I've always been here for you. And I've always been the person fighting for this relationship. And I'm too old and too tired to fight this time. I thought that was realistic. I also thought, um, him saying, this is enough for me and her saying, it's not enough for me. Right. That's so complicated, right? right? It's true. It's true. Now you're making me feel bad about all the things I said, but can I say another (laughs) thing? But another thing that was unrealistic, and I haven't watched the show to know Mm -hmm. if this is really how it goes down in the show, but it seems to me like Miranda's like, oh, I'm drunk. Oh, I have a drinking problem. Okay, I'll quit. That did happen. And then she just, and then she just quits. That did happen. And, and that for sure isn't the way that happens very often. 100%. I agree with that. 100%. That is not the way addiction works. That was fairly careless. I think that was careless and, you know, dangerous to some degree to, to depict it like that. She would be if she really had a drinking problem where she was carrying like airplane bottles of booze around with her, like we have a morning, noon and night drinking ish situation. It's highly unlikely that that shit is, is cut off just because she listens to a podcast one day and it was like, that's it. I will not drink anymore. And she's about, or maybe she has, maybe there's been another episode where she flies to Cleveland to see her lover. Right. She's and about to do this, that. She's about to do that. And that's about to end poorly. That's going to sure, end. That's going Yeah. And, and, and she's going to, she's going to pop up. She's going to definitely break out the airline bottles on the flight back from Cleveland. 
is my prediction. Well, then maybe then maybe it is realistic. I mean, I don't know. I the thing is, I don't know why I am such a I'm going to use a modern term here, a stan for and just like that. <laughs> but I I find it really satisfying. I find watching these women be older. I found the Carrie, I mean, and I know it's schmaltzy. I'm aware that it's schmaltzy, like Carrie yelling at her downstairs neighbor who's so hot and dramatic and wanting to, but also wanting to be cool with the neighbor mm -hmm, and being called mm -hmm. ma'am twice. Yes, yes. <laughs> Yes, yeah, someone called me Miss the other day, and I was like, thank you very much. <laughs> but I've, as I've said before, the Miss is always condescending. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. But I was still happy. It wasn't a ma'am. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Thanks for listening to Everything is Fine. We are your hosts. I'm Jen Romolini. And I'm Kim France. If you like the show, rate and review it on the platforms. That really makes a difference in helping people find our show. If you want to support the production of the show, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com backslash everything is fine. We put up exclusive content there. We do live events and we also do bonus episodes. You can find the show on Instagram at EIF podcast. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. If you want to email us, we're at everything is fine. The podcast at gmail.com. And you can find Kim on her blog, girls of a certain age.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.